So, how are we going to handle the sleeping arrangements? Well, what's best for me is if I lie on my side like this and you spoon up beside me, your arm draped over me. We do it the other way. I get your hair caught in my throat and I choke in the night. Well, how about you on the sofa and me and the baby in the bed? It's a way to go. It's so late. I really got to put him down. Really? You're short, your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Hello again, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we've been finding those silver linings for a whole freaking year. Yeah, a year during a pandemic uh, as well, which I think should count double. I think this should just, you know, officially. This is our third anniversary? This is our third anniversary. We should level up that, like, you know, we, we've definitely done it, you know, under under the most trying of circumstances. We've been finding silver linings in these dark days. We've gotten together in a recording studio, equidistant between our two homes, and... <laughs> And recorded once a week for the duration of a pandemic, risking life and limb in order to bring you these quality takes on debatable quality movies. Yeah, we've stood a foot away from each other this whole time, facing each other. So we're talking yes. right into each other's mouths for this past year. For you. For you. Our listeners. We didn't we want love. to do that. We take science no. very seriously, but we couldn't think of it. What are we going to do? Like each record from our own homes and use some kind of video conferencing software that would be ridiculous what is this the future yeah come on yeah get right out of town with that crap <laughs> next you'll be telling me they'll have schools on the computer <sighs> and work please yeah won't happen but no it's please. a thank you if you have been listening for this past year uh thank you we appreciate it for sure if this is your first episode we also appreciate that and if you're not hearing this we don't appreciate it but you didn't hear it so you can't be mad at us because then you caught yourself because if you're like why did you say that about me how did you hear it oh how did you hear because you were listening yeah uh, so. i will say that if this is the 10th episode you've listened to why not more yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, you're just waffling at that point. If yeah. you've listened to 10 of these, you like this show. Go back to, through the archives. Yeah, go go listen to all of them. Yeah. If you've listened to 10. Why not listen to the other 42? Mm-hmm. And if you've listened to 11, then you're you're there. Yeah, you're on your way. Yeah. but You maybe just discovered it late, and you, know, you're, you don't want to binge it all at once. I get it. Mm-hmm. I feel you 11-episode listeners. My sympathy is with the person who's listened to 51 of them and they're just like, I just, I know that when I listen to this next one, that that's it. I've listened to all of them. So they, so they're saving it. It's precious to them. Right. But then luckily next week it'll go up to 53 so they can listen again. Yeah. So they will, we'll be here. Yeah. We're here for it. Yeah. You know, if there's one thing you can count on, it's that Joel and I will Watch movies that other people have maligned and try to find those silver linings. Mm-hmm. And so far, knock on wood, we found them every week. Yeah, we are 52 and 0. Yeah. Which, uh, real quick before we get in. So what we decided for our, uh, since this is our one year anniversary and we're entering, you know, our second year of doing this, that it might be fun to spend the month to celebrate uh, reviewing some comedic uh, second entries that were unsuccessful, the sophomore slump of films. So, you know, to see maybe maybe we'll learn what to avoid. You know, we'll learn some of the pitfalls. So we're so we're starting with Ghostbusters 2 and we're going to be watching maligned comedy sequels this month. And, and if you want to talk about a genre that is maligned from Jump Street, it is comedy sequels. Well, and we can yeah maybe get into why it is so difficult to do a comedy sequel. But real quick before we jump into it, I did because something that we talk about a lot on the show that I was like, you know what, for year two, I'm getting organized on this is <laughs> we're often trying to figure out who's been on the show, like, you know, how who's been on the most, like what actors pop up a lot. And I have that information now. I've started using 
uh, a service that does not pay us. So I will not tell you what it is, but uh, it now I've now entered everything that we've watched and I have stats for us. So I can tell you that there have only been two actors who have we've done five episodes with movies that they've been in. So, you know, if you think about it, like 10 percent of our episodes have been. Uh, these two actors have appeared in it. And it, when I tell you who they are, they make a lot of sense if you think about the fact that we started last May by doing Star Wars movies. Uh, they are Ewan McGregor and Anthony Daniels. Makes both, a lot of sense. Both five-timers. And then there's a lot of people that we've that have been in the four-time club. So a lot of people on the verge of reaching that top spot. You got Nicolas Cage. Frank Oz, Ben Affleck, Natalie Portman, Samuel L. Jackson, Kenny Baker, Carla uh, Gugino. Did I say that right? I, no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ian McDermott, Henry Cavill, Connie Nelson, Amy Adams, Diane Lane, Gal Gadot, Matthew McConaughey, someone named Gary A. Hecker. All four he's like He's like an extra, like... Almost borderline stunt performer in the Snyder movies. Yeah, he's the in Snyder all the Rocky Snyder movies game. and in uh, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie that we did. Those are the four. So, and then, yeah, unsurprisingly, I mean, directors, it makes sense because uh, we've done five Zack Snyder movies and three George Lucas movies. So Yeah, so they're the, they're the two most. Also, I learned that we've done by far uh, 2019. We did, uh, I believe, six Yes. That was so, the year with the most representation? That was the year with the most representation was 2019. So Nice. Big ups to 2019. The mm-hmm. last year of Earth. Yeah. I mean, nothing good has happened since then. So it makes <laughs> no. sense. Other than this podcast. This podcast is literally the only good thing yeah. that's happened since then. Yeah, yeah. I was trying. Well, and that Parasite won Best Picture. Yes. Those are the two things that were good. Uh, and the stadium stampede match uh, in AEW with the inner circle versus the elite and Matt Hardy. That was good too. Yep. But that's all the things. Yep. Those are, those are the only ones. Um, made some really good hamburgers once. That's good. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. I found out that uh, the, the store around the corner from my place where I live sells cheer wine which is a cherry flavored soda that they make in north carolina that i used to drink when i was a kid and they now sell it within walking distance of my apartment so that was good i just found that out recently so so hey look we're finding silver linings of the our, two worst years in human history yeah I that's mean, not we, even what we're trying to do this week and we would not have been able to do that a year ago this is a muscle that we built so now yeah. we're able to find silver linings in life. So these are gains that yeah. we've gotten, and I think if we have any of uh, any of those fifty-two weakers out there, uh, you probably have felt those gains too by us, you know, being your your Peloton-esque guides through finding silver linings and things. This is the only time you and I will ever be compared to Pelotons. You don't know that, okay? All right. <laughs> you know what? That's another silver lining. But that's that's enough. <laughs> Preamble. We are here today to talk about Ghostbusters 2. Yes. Uh, clearly the most maligned Ghostbusters movie. As far as I am aware, for sure. Yeah, I can't think of any other malignings of Ghostbusters movies. Um, I think I want to start by saying that Ghostbusters 1 is my all-time favorite movie. I want to put that into the yeah. world right now. Yeah, definitely um, one of, like, I don't know if I would say it's my favorite movie, but it is one of my favorite movies. And it is a movie that I could close my eyes and play for myself in my head right now. If yeah, I 100%. To. Yeah. I, I could absolutely, you could mute the audio and I could do line for line mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, it's where he says, I have no fear when I encounter specters. Yeah. That's the line. Yeah. And then there's that one guy that's like really hamming it up in the library who's like, what has that got to do with it? There's that guy. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. You know, Ghostbusters. Classic Ghostbusters. But we're talking about Ghostbusters 2, the sequel that shares a lot of commonalities with Avengers Endgame and that they both have an all black screen with white text that says five years later. Yeah, that's and... uh, you know, some people that the people in 
the movie continuity thought they'd never see again return. So there's a few similarities. That's true. There's yeah, there's a lot. Uh, um, why don't we start? Let's start as we often do by talking about why this movie is maligned. And I think I can sum it up in one sentence. Oh, okay. It's not Ghostbusters. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you're going to malign movies for not being Ghostbusters, well, that's every movie that isn't. That's every movie except for Ghostbusters. Yeah, so that's your problem right there. But no, I, I think that that is correct. I think the fact that, so in unlike Avengers Endgame, it was a real five years that right. people waited uh, for this sequel. And I think expectations were high. Also, Ghostbusters became a product in those five oh, years. It, yeah, it became literal franchise yeah it like the cartoon toys the whole magilla and so i think all of that certainly played into it of like one hyping it up but two also anytime corporations start seeing those dollar signs it's going to lead to them feeling very hands-on about the product that comes after that. And and that doesn't mean you can't have good movies because I think Avengers Endgame is a perfect example of something that certainly uh, the Walt Disney Corporation has a very vested interest in those movies doing well and is probably not hands off with. But, you know, it's right. good. But no, I, I think I think you can see that some adjustments were made in that. I think the first movie was such an anomaly. And, and I would probably argue that no one. <laughs> Like there's just an alchemy to it that I don't think anyone probably predicted the success it would have, nor entirely understands why it is as good as it is. It just is like everything works on a level that is probably impossible to replicate because it happened organically. And I think when people try to, you know, either replicate that or just like don't want to mess it up, then that leads to compromises and uh, sort of, you know, less creative decision making. Right. And like I just from reading a lot about Ghostbusters, and I've definitely done independent of this podcast, just because I love the movie so much, I've done my fair share of deep dives into the lore around Ghostbusters is that. You know, Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, like they knew they had a good movie. Like they knew that what they put in the can was quality. Um, but was unforeseen was how universal the appeal was. Right. Like they thought they made like a pretty straightforward comedy uh, that had some fun supernatural elements. I don't think they had any idea how popular it was going to be for the kids. Right. Well, and, and you how, can like I think you can see that in like. I would imagine if they were trying to court children, there'd be less smoking and ghost blowjobs in the first movie. <laughs> right. There'd be probably zero ghost blowjobs, considering that I could say this is a reason to malign the second one, is that there are no ghost blowjobs in Ghostbusters 2. It's certainly a reason that I think Dan Aykroyd might malign the second That's true, because he somehow got a ghost to blow him for the first one. and It is... To this day, what will forever baffle me creatively, that that is just in a montage with no, no one ever comments on it in the first movie. And it's just the fact that like they clearly shot a lot of extra stuff, um, including a scene like, again, reading the lore of that, where they uh, visited like a, a, you know, a military fort. And while they were there overnight is when the ghost blew Dan Aykroyd and because they felt it didn't fit into the runtime, they throw it into the ghost busting montage. Because busting makes him feel good. <laughs> you know, that's right. <laughs> um, so I think that I, but I also think that that gets to one of the things that maligns this movie is that. While I think being aware that you, that the old saying that lightning can't strike twice, which is a lie because lightning strikes in the same place all the time yeah i mean it's um, why lightning rods exist right that's exactly <laughs> why lightning rods exist uh is that even with that knowledge and like the, the i think the idiom holds true about you know like getting lightning to strike twice is a very rare occurrence but like this is almost beat for beat the same movie as ghostbusters there's a lot of things that are like very similar to the original ghostbusters right and yeah i i think that 
there, there's a lot that what's weird is it's a weird juxtaposition of there's a lot that's the same, but then the things that are different feel out of left field. Like why is Dana Barrett? She was, you know, like a, she played in an orchestra. She, yeah. She was a, a uh, concert cellist for the New York Philharmonic. Right. And all of a sudden she is an art, you know, she does art restoration in this movie, which is not even a thing I think you can learn in five years. I definitely think that's a thing that you have to carefully <laughs> study. Like that is, no, that's a very refined skill. Yeah. That's not like a job you just transition into, you know, and it seems yeah, implied that it made more sense for like having a kid, but how? Right. Cause I feel like, yeah, that, 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 that is a thing that did not make sense about this movie. Or like the fact that Lewis Tully, who, it's very clear he does. He's a tax attorney in the first movie. He well, he's an accountant. Oh, an, sorry, an accountant. But he does people's taxes in the first movie, and then in this movie, he's representing the Ghostbusters in court and trying to be the fifth Ghostbuster. Yeah, that one I think you you can is a little easier to connect the dots because I mean he said he does he mostly does tax law and probate stuff. So maybe he's like, well, I'm already working as a CPA. Why don't I get my night degree as a lawyer so I can do some of the tax law stuff? So I can do like estate planning or things like that 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 a CPA might do. So I can see the dots there. They never spell it out. Uh, but it's still just like we want Lewis to be in the scene. F it. He's an attorney. He's right. their lawyer now. Well, and also he's pretty bad at being a lawyer. Very bad. He says judicial estrangement order. Yeah. Which like I is odd of a character as he is and as off-putting as he is to Dana in the first movie, I didn't get the sense that he was incompetent or bad at his job. Right. I mean, well, he's bad at his job in that he runs down like the the one couple that comes to the party. He runs down their whole financial business, which I like, I don't think there's like CPA client privilege the way there's attorney client privilege, but also like you don't air people's specifics. Well, he's also throwing a party for his clients. So clients can write, so he can it, write off. it off as a tax expense. Yeah. yeah. So he, I mean, but. But that would, but, you could argue that's smart. Like, that yeah. That's, and it, it's a different kind of incompetence than judicial estrangement order. Well, then like, yeah, just being grossly incompetent at being their lawyer. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like, you know, it starts out with a supernatural encounter this time they have Dana Barrett because they want to connect it to the the original movie. Uh, you know, they get the band back together. They try out the equipment similar to going to the Sedgwick Hotel, trying to bust the, you know, busting Slimer. Uh, there is a big bad that is trying to unleash the end of the world. And through their ghost busting, they save the day. Like those are, it's the same plot for both movies. And while I don't think that, they should have tried to really break new ground with the second one that, you know, maybe they could have gone in a different direction. Maybe the fact that like Ghostbusters one is already a better movie at telling that story, that that's a reason that this is maligned. Well, and I think this does get into what I was kind of hinting at before as we do this month, which is it's inherently difficult to do a comedy sequel. I, I think mm -hmm. it's, it's difficult to do sequels in general for that exact, because you don't want to do the same thing, but people's tolerance is different in that like you can see that if you love a band you want them to play the hits like you you want to hear freebird <laughs> you know like you you there's stuff that you're like if i leave here and they don't play the songs that i love i'm going to be upset if it's a comedian you that's exactly what you don't want i don't want to hear the jokes that i've heard from your album like i don't want to hear the jokes from the last special i'm coming to see you to hear new jokes and so right so you're basically when you're doing a comedy sequel, you're being like, OK, be like the first movie, but with different jokes. Right. And like other comedy series, like you see it in Austin Powers where like they try a few different things. And I think that like Austin Powers 2 is a more successful comedy sequel than most comedy sequels. Um, But at the same time, they also go back to the well and it's it's not an easy task yeah um but yeah it's like yeah you don't go to see jim gaffigan hoping for him to do hot pockets the way that you go to see leonard skinner and hope they do Freebird. yeah if you see leonard skinner and then they don't do hot pockets you're pretty upset right 
But man, have you heard Jim Gaffigan's Freebird? It's amazing. Dude nails it. It Free, Freebird. Freebird. <laughs> Freebird. Yeah. No, it's good. And then he does like that whole build up where he's like, I hope he does Freebird. I really hope, I he, hope does he does it. Is he going to do it? I don't do know if he's going to do Freebird. <laughs> It's good. He might do Freebird. Seriously, I love Jim Gaffigan's comedy. I do too. I think he's great. No, I think he's a fantastic comedian. Um, oh, man. Yeah. But that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> that was a fun little aside. <laughs> yeah. So I think for all those reasons, it's difficult. I also do think you can make the argument that, like you said, I don't think they expected the first movie to to be big with kids. And I... I think I know for me, like I, I think part of it being a kid when I saw the movie, you watched the first one and you kind of felt like you were getting away with something. You know what I a mean? A little like, bit, yeah. Like it's it I think it's it really toes that line of like it feels dangerous, but it's safe. Like it actually never goes over any real lines, but it it's pretty risque for a kid. And then I think one of the issues is that they made this movie and they made this more of a kid's movie. And then it kind of lost that edge that made it so fun in the first movie. Yeah, there's only a couple of jokes that really sort of push that envelope the way the first Ghostbusters did. Uh, when the it's, one being when Egon says, I think they're more into my epididymis. Yeah, uh, well, well, and I, the, the line that got the most sincere, hardest laugh for me because I forgot that this was a joke because while I can recite all of Ghostbusters, I I've not seen Ghostbusters two as much. I've definitely seen it. I don't know, you know, in the tens or twenties of times in my life, but not in the way that I've seen Ghostbusters, but no, the, when Egon says, I'd like to do some gynecological exams on the mother and Venkman just goes, who wouldn't? Like that, right? It's that. That's really yeah. Me. That was that was literally the next one I was gonna say. Like that is that is a Ghostbusters one joke in Ghostbusters. Too. Yes, yeah. The fact that that made it through is kind of surprising, but and and his delivery, like who wouldn't? Like of course yeah. you want to do gynecological tests on <laughs> yeah. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. So uh, there, which is also you know maybe it seems counterintuitive after saying that I laughed at that joke. One weird thing to me in this movie is the way that they seem to be like when Sigourney Weaver takes her shirt off to bathe her child is a very bizarre scene where I'm like, I'm not sure what's happening here. Like what, what single mother is first of all, she's wearing a, a nice button up shirt that she's been wearing for her art restoration job because you wear nice button up shirts to, to right, restore as you art. do, but she's wearing that. And then like some kind of lacy, sexy mom bra to, to bathe her child when she's home by herself, because that's how single mothers are dressed and act like she's not just wearing a t-shirt and no bra and is exhausted and doesn't care if the shirt just gets soaked by her kid. Right. Which is what would actually happen. Right. So, but like that was weird. And then like, there's another scene where she's just in a towel and I'm like, what, what is happening in this movie? <laughs> I mean, to be fair in the original Ghostbusters, she does say to Peter Venkman, I want you inside me. Well, she doesn't say that. Well, that's true. Zool, Zool says, says that. that. Yeah. Through Dana. Yeah. Um, and she's, and that's just a weird thing is that she happened to have that red dress. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I mean, Dana Barrett, look, she, she lives an eclectic life. She's interested in art restoration and music. And, and she's so a classically trained, uh, musician for one of the finest orchestras in the world. And sometimes she likes to go out in a red dress and like really tease out her hair. Yeah. So she has those products and dress on hand. And know. also eats Oscar Mayer bologna. Yeah, I know. I mean, her. <laughs> that's one of the best things, too, is just Venkman reacting to the food in her refrigerator in the first movie. I will say, man, one of the things, and again, this is not about the first Ghostbusters, but their relationship in this, maybe this is a silver lining for this movie. I, I feel like their relationship made a lot more sense in this movie. It's weird in the first movie. Yeah, she falls for him sort of out of nowhere. Well, and it's it's just every they're all their interactions are really bizarre. Like Venkman is really weird in the first movie. The way that they're like the, all of the ways they talk to each other are are just strange. Where they it felt more organic, like in this movie, their conversations. Like I I understood why the two of them cared about each other more this time around. Yeah, it's, and I think that's just 
because you have that shared history that you know about from the first movie. Right. I think that's why it works a little bit better in this one. Um, but I, I mean, I think we could continue, I think for a while, but it's all the same note of the problem with the problems with this movie is that it's not the first one. Right. I do think it's worth mentioning that Bill Murray hates this movie <laughs> that yes. that he can't stand Ghostbusters to that he contends that the script that they shot is not what he signed on for that it was changed that he he very much does not stand behind this movie yeah but um I think Ackroyd Ramis and Reitman do right I just while we're maligning it I think it is worth noting that one of the stars of the movie do, has Doesn't been like very vocal about not liking it. So what I, I want to know is what does Annie Potts think about this movie? That's, I wanna that's know, the real. Yeah. What does Annie Potts think? What does Ernie Hudson think? You know, Um, if I had to guess, I would say because Winston has a lot more to do in this movie than just be there the way he was in the first one. Well, that is one of the stranger things about the first movie is that from what I've heard, and you probably heard this too, because I imagine in our own free time, we both read a lot about the original Ghostbusters, but I know that they originally were hoping Eddie Murphy would play Winston Zeddemore, and apparently he had a much larger part, and then when they didn't get him, they really gutted the part before casting it. So, like, they made this weird decision where Winston apparently was a much bigger character, but then when they didn't get Eddie Murphy, they just went, oh, well, then this character needs to exist because he exists as, like, the character that we explain how everything works to. Right, the audience surrogate. But we're not going to give him anything to do in the first movie. So he's definitely more integrated in the second movie, which is nice. I mean, Winston does have, like... I've seen shit that will turn you white is a great line. I love it. I mean, I love Winston. I always love Winston as a kid. It never even occurred to me that he didn't get as much screen time. He was just one of the Ghostbusters. And uh, but yeah, it's he has his moments like, I mean, tell him about the Twinkie. No, there are some great. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, I mean, yeah, but he has more to do in this movie. Um, like the scene when they're in the uh, River of Slime and the fight they have afterwards, like him and Dan Aykroyd trash talking each other is really funny. And I think if they had had the same mindset that they did when making Ghostbusters one, it could have been a lot funnier because they would have pushed it a little bit more. Um, and, you know, like when he freaks out when he gets run over by the train, like that's he does it like that's really fun. So he has more to do in this movie. Well, and I, I kind of like the idea of at the beginning of this movie, when everyone is splintered, when the Ghostbusters have broken up, that he's still hanging out with. Um, is it him and Ray? Who Who is it? It's him and Ray. Yeah, they're, they're still doing kids parties together. Like, I like that, that he's still. You know, he, like they're still Ghostbusters, like they're still cashing in right. on it. While, well, like <laughs> Egon is doing his weird experiments, which honestly, I I did not remember a lot of the beginning of this movie because it really like I feel like this it does really kick in like once things start happening. Like the the first like the opening twenty minutes of the movie are a little rocky to me in general, but there's some really funny stuff there, and I, Egon's experiments would sort of. Uh, I guess parallel the stuff that Venkman was doing in the first movie, but where he's just like making a couple uh, like he's watching them while they think that their their appointment gets keeps getting pushed back so he can secretly observe them. And then he has like the little girl with the puppy and he's like, take away the puppy like that. He's just right. Just effing with people. Yeah. To see their psychological reactions. Um, yeah. There's one. This, I, just because I think it's a just a weird lack of research and counts. I think is maligning the movie is uh, at the birthday party scene. Um, when the kids want He-Man, nobody wanted He-Man in 1989. No, no. Like that was just a weird choice. They could have picked the Ninja Turtles or maybe there was a reason that they had to like, they couldn't use certain names or certain properties, but well, one um, of the things I read, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think He-Man was done by Filmation, who was the same company who did the real Ghostbusters. So it probably was a licensing thing that they had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, Filmation did the, the, the real, real Ghostbusters with the gorilla. Oh, the, oh, well, maybe not the then maybe that the, was why they had a diss. I don't know. Like, but I, I that's what I read is that Filmation had He-Man. So I guess 
maybe that was the joke was was yeah maybe yeah but yeah, no, I'm with you that He-Man is a weird choice. Also, I don't know, just in the, you know, in the name of trivia, one of the kids in that birthday party is Jason Reitman, uh, yeah. Reitman's son, who is directing a new Ghostbusters movie, which we very well it's might do on out. this show someday. So We could, or we could not. And it I, might I, be great. Either this. one is I'm happy with. If yeah. we do the, do, the, do the thing, or if it's too good to be on this show, or too respected to be on this show, yeah. um, that would be... That would be good. Um, uh, let's let's silver line this mf'er. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I think we covered it, and I think it's safe to say as we go to the silver linings that I, you and I both have a soft spot for this movie. I mean, if oh, that I love clear, this movie. Yeah. I'm, I, like I, I think there are a lot of Ghostbusters fans that very much fall in the Bill Murray camp and dislike this movie, and I get it. But man, I don't know. I I have. Um, Cause this, like I saw this one in the theater, you know, I was too young to have seen Ghostbusters in the theater. So like that, so that has that nostalgia for me. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I I have a lot of love for this movie. I love the soundtrack, even though it's incredibly cheesy in nineties. Like I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, your love is lifting me higher with the, you know, the statue of Liberty. That really works for me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's weird that they went with a, a version by Howard Huntsbury that's like super 80s with like a bunch of like just real synthy like keyboard and stuff like that rather than the Jackie Wilson, um, the classic like Motown version. That's I mean, it's a great song. It's a banger no matter what. But um, just it's weird that they use the Jackie Wilson version in the dancing toaster scene and then the 80s synth like synthy like very 80s version in um the Statue of Liberty scene. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, like that stuff is enjoyable. Uh, the, On our own by Bobby Brown is a banger. I no, don't care what you say. Yeah. That is a banger. That, 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 it's you gotta, a bop, gotta take control. Yeah. Gotta, gotta, gotta take control. Yeah. No, and the, Bobby Brown makes a cameo. So that's fun. And also Bobby Brown is the first person to use the phrase proton pack in a Ghostbusters movie. So another fun fact. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, to get to like more serious silver, li- like uh, more serious silver linings, um, big ups to Kurt Fuller and Peter McNichol. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, th- I'm going to throw them in there as uh, I love Kurt Fuller as an actor making a second appearance on the pod. Um, and yeah, I, like he's not William Atherton, although he's playing the William Ather, the Walter Peck, William Atherton role. Um, but it's different enough and it's, um, you know, that it doesn't like you don't wish it was William Atherton the way you wish a lot of other things were Ghostbusters one. So I think that's the thing. And I just man, does he play just a slime? Great man. What a great wheelhouse niche that guy found. Well, and he I think they did make an interesting choice because Atherton felt more menacing just because dude has a face that you want to punch. You know, he has as, a very punchable face. Yeah. As Bonnie Bedelia found out like in, <laughs> in Die Hard. But uh I, I think that he Atherton just has that and Atherton and Bill Murray have some really great chemistry in their oh, first scene that, together. Yeah, it's so great. Like but, this this man has no dick is one of the greatest lines in that oh yeah in that movie. But like well also I, I mean even before that line is great, but even before that where it's just like, May I see it? No. Like we're it's like Bill Murray makes this calculation in the first movie to just be Bugs Bunny to this guy. I yeah, don't so, know who well, what's you are. The magic word. Yeah. Please. Yeah, where it's just like he it's like you can see Venkman just deciding, I don't know. I'm bored at this moment, so I don't need to respect this guy. Like there's no reason. It's completely uncalled for. He just yeah. decides, I don't like this guy. I'm not gonna play ball with him, and it causes other problems. But like I like the sort of mayor's assistant because it's a different job that gives him different power that sort of, you know, makes him a different villain. Right. And the fact that he had, because that's the thing is Atherton feels imposing and he does get their grid shut off. But then when he gets face to face with the mayor, you know, the mayor immediately sides with the Ghostbusters over him versus like in this one. Well, that doesn't even happen because like I'm going to stash the Ghostbusters in a mental institute when you don't even know. like that. He's sneakier. I think that's what it is. Right. That he He's a little bit more of a survivalist. Like he understands, unlike Peck. 
he knows how the how the games are played. Like he he right. understands the Game of Thrones, and he's he's holding on to his power better than Atherton did. So I think that works. Yeah, but and I I don't know I just like Kurt Fuller has one note, but he plays that note really really well. Like I think across his filmography, really I like I'm I'm a fan. Yeah, no, he's great. Yeah, uh, uh, but then Peter McNichol I think is like I think. I could see just as many people calling him a reason to malign this movie, but I'm into I'm into his choices, man. No, I am, too. And it it was interesting because some of the stuff I was reading, too, said that he was the one who really pushed because according to Peter McNichol, like the original version of this character was not Carpathian. He was just a guy. And like he apparently on his own really leaned into kind of developing the accent and and really doing a lot of sort of like methody choices about who his character was but he no i mean he's playing it big and he is not trying to play this as any sort of grounded character but i think it works it just does i i can't even explain why but i i like the choice and i think it works too because dana's creeped out by him before the painting shows up so like just right away she's like this guy yeah like he's Um, just a guy who has a little bit of power in a very unimportant thing that then this painting shows up and suddenly he has a lot of power and i I, it works i don't know he works for me yeah and it's not a good joke but it always lands for me when they when uh i think it's venkman asks him where he's from and he goes the upper west side yeah like it's just, it's such it's not a it's not a good joke but i it, man does it land like, I, also, I like that joke by the way i i also want to give a shout out to i i really like harris yulin in this movie oh plays I, was, I was gonna i was gonna do the courtroom scene as a yeah. whole separate thing but yeah yeah, yeah just, harris yulin's great as the judge yeah just his righteous anger at the oh, ghostbusters leading just, to the the ghost like it you need that he knew exactly what was needed to sell the ghosts uh like showing up and and it works it works really well and then you completely understand why he pivots i actually think that's one of the best scenes in the movie and one of the well, that- yeah, it feels different from the last movie too well and that's the one thing i was going to say is that if there's one part of this movie that i think not counting just budgetary reasons that the, if there's one part of Ghostbusters 2 that I think is superior to Ghostbusters 1, if you say that like the courtroom scene and the Slimer scene are the parallel scenes, I think the courtroom scene's better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, it, it looks better because they clearly had more money this time to make the ghosts look a little, you know, the special effects were still great and hold up surprisingly well. At very, not all the special effects from Ghostbusters, but like the Slimer scene, I feel like holds up better than a lot of the other, like the, the stop motion dogs. Like it looks like Ray Harryhausen, whatever. But, um, but yeah, like the special effects are better. Um, the ghosts are a little more menacing. They feel like more of a threat. Uh, yeah, that scene, it's the best scene in the movie. I feel comfortable saying, um, I think that's, and it's, yeah, it, it like just when, uh, Rick Moranis is trying to like question Peter, but Peter's just actually feeding him the things to say. Like that's yeah. brilliant. Uh, the way he calls Janet Margolin kitten mm-hmm. is like, it's just so slimy and so Venkman and it's great. Uh, do Ray Egon. Yes. Like yeah. that just lands so hard. Um, two in the box, ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. Yes. Like great trailer moment. Like that, that seat, like if the whole movie could have been that scene, like have that, level of like energy behind it. Um, I think people would be really questioning which was the better Ghostbusters. And I, I think too, that as I was talking before about sort of the earlier parts in the movie, the, to me, the beginning of this movie is very clunky and, and I forgot a lot of it. I would say that scene is where the movie kicked in to me. Like I felt from then on, I felt like I was in pretty good hands. I still think there's, you know, you can quibble yeah. with some choices made after that, but that to me feels like, we're launched into the Ghostbusters 2 story and it's enjoyable. That being said, I love the world of the psychic scene. I mean, th- there's great <laughs> stuff. Like I said, I, th- I really like the Egon stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. And this movie, like it does have a lot of the heart of Ghostbusters one. It just like by aiming at a specific audience, I think they missed the wider audience. And that's, I think going back to why it's maligned, but like that, like the courtroom scene is great. Uh, I also, I, I think like 
one thing that I like, I mean, one thing that I've always enjoyed about the ghost, and I know it's like, I'm trying to avoid the very trite thing where, you know, it's become such a cliche to be like, you know, New York is a character in the movie. And I definitely don't want to like say that, but I think that to me, the Ghostbusters movies always felt like some of the most quintessential New York movies of because like good and bad, like they just felt like New York. And I definitely saw them when I was a kid, but even when I went to New York, I feel like they sort of had a big impact. Them and Muppets take Manhattan probably had the biggest impact and <laughs> how I understood how New yeah. York worked. But it's just like, uh, you know, having been to New York a lot as an adult, like I, I, I think that they just feel like New York movies of both, the things that are bad about New York, but also the things that are great about New York, but just also what New Yorkers are like. And I, I love, so I, all of that to say that one thing that I, I think they really do when you say the heart that it is, I actually think there might be more heart in this movie in that the first one's fun and I think it does really good world building, but this one, like by making the theme of the movie, New Yorkers are angrier than ever, but at their core, they're good people. And if we can just find a way to remind them of that, like if we can find a symbol to remind New Yorkers that there's love in their hearts, like, like, I think that's nice. Like, I actually think that's a good way to go. There's something I've been seeing online lately that I've been kind of taking to where they talk about like sort of the East Coast, West Coast difference. And they say East Coasters aren't nice but they're kind mm-hmm. west coasters are nice but they're not kind which having lived on both coasts i i think there is like some truth to that for sure of like there's a lot more you know emphasis put on pleasantries in on the west coast like there's just sort of you know sort of this like hospitality that's built in and like you know the uh, uh, civility like there's this politeness and east coast people tend to like be more brusque and not as interested in that but are at their core i think very sweet people by and large but are more willing to like lend a hand if they see someone in trouble or yeah there's more of a community vibe to it um but this like this movie does have some really nice heart and i think that like setting it around the holidays but not making it a holiday movie is part of that like, like New Year's Eve plays a big factor in it, but it like, I wouldn't call this a New Year's Eve movie. No. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, like Die Hard is far more of a Christmas movie than Ghostbusters 2 is a New Year's Eve movie. Don't, even don't though even, like, both are central to the, to the plot. Don't even get me started. Well, but like, yeah, I mean, that debate has become trite at this point anyway. Mm-hmm. That's why Atherton uh, refused to do Ghostbusters 2 because he was like, right. I'm not getting into it again. I've already done that. Yeah, I've already done. Is it a holiday movie or not? Um, yeah, I think uh, it's not a silver lining, but it's a funny behind the scenes story or like not a funny one, but sort of a tragic, a little bit tragic is that uh, Wilhelm von Homburg, who plays the the visual of Vigo the Carpathian, didn't know that he got David Proust. Uh, yeah, that's I'm going to say that there's a reason to malign this movie. Yeah, like, I it's I no, I it's funny that you brought that up now. I forgot to bring that up before, but no, I I really hate that. And I wish that people would stop doing that to actors because it's a really cold, you know. But yeah, so he he plays uh, Vigo like he he's the actor who plays Vigo. But Max von Sydow like had the redubbed his Did lines the and nobody told him until he went to the premiere and he stormed out of the premiere. Like, just like. If you're going to do it, let the person know. Right. Like, have a phone call and talk about it, especially if, like, their understanding is that the voice is going to be theirs. You know, like, it, it's it's a pretty cold move to just not. It's it, it it's just shitty. It's Yeah. Yeah. It's It's nice that you let them read the lines on set, but it's not kind that you forgot to tell them about it. Right. Yeah. And... It's yeah, and if people don't know, David Prowse is the guy who played Darth Vader, who didn't know that James Earl Jones was going to be doing all the dialogue. He did all of the dialogue on set for the movie, and then right. went to see it and found out that they didn't use his voice. Yeah, like, like how does that slip? Uh, whatever. Um, it's, we're yeah. talking about so. We're talking about silver linings. I mean, I guess um, the silver lining, even though it's terrible, is that Max von Sydow. It's great. Yeah, I mean that's a great voice. It's I, I don't n- know off the top of my head what uh, Wilhelm von Homburg sounds like, but 
Max Vazito has a great voice for Vigo the Carpathian. I mean, I would also, I would kind of push back regardless of what he sounds like. Would it have mattered? Does like, does Vigo the Carpathian's dialogue matter so much that like he needed to have a specific sound? He mostly just says like, uh, baby. Like, I don't, what name, well, he says, what, like, quote I mean, a line. he gets just like the, you know, I live in a castle of pain, sit on a throne of blood. Like he has a couple of monologues. But I'm saying, that, like, if if that line was mumbled, would we have lost anything? I'm gonna say yes. I'm, okay. I'm gonna go. Ahead. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say we would have. Well, then you're you're just as bad as the people who didn't call him. So I'll own it. You know what? I'll own it. I'm just. But asked, I would have told him. Yeah. I would have told him. It's like, gotcha. hey, we need someone to read these lines on set so that we can have, you know, prompts for our, our other actors. But. Uh, we are fixing. We are ADRing someone else in for this line. I would have. I would have said that. And tell him why. Person. If you have a reason, tell him the reason. I think the the actors deserve to know that. You know, maybe it is better with Max von Sydow, but like you owe it to the guy that you hired to play the part to explain to him why you're not using him. Right. Um. Yeah. No. I think that's definitely true. Uh. I know that Vigo as a villain has been maligned a little bit. Um, they think he doesn't have any. I, I found him sufficiently menacing. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. He looks good in the painting. He creeped me out as yeah. a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And when it's just the head like that yeah. worked, the full body was a little. Uh... I also I, I feel like maybe what it is, is that he's he's a less creative choice than I mean, you know, I, maybe we should talk about the end of the movie Ghostbusters on like. Again, when you talk like when I was talking about sort of the alchemy of the movie of it just it works and it it works because it works like but right. on paper that ending's probably not great. Like the ending of Ghostbusters is kind of messy. Like it's a little sweaty, but it works and I think it works because I mean the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is iconic and Right. And that like that's an idea that someone's like, "All right, well we'll shoot you this, but we're going to do something else." Right. No, but like stay- it screams that, but it's so great. But no, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is great. And then, uh, you know, the actual. What is Gozer. it? Gozer. Gozer. I was like, I kept thinking Zool, but I was like, that's Dana. But yeah, Gozer looks like a badass, like 80s rock, you know, <laughs> like, like, like it has singer. this like Grace Jones, David Bowie vibe. Yeah. Like just looks cool. Like you don't know what you're expecting, but you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. But yep. Like that. I was like, yeah, like I had no question that that was Gozer. Yeah. And then the line like, are you a God is, you know, it's just great. Like it all works because everything's working in that movie. And it's just Vigo's a little less interesting. And then he doesn't really do much. He just wants to be a baby. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of like when you say it out loud, it's like his whole thing is just he wants to be a baby. Which, like, there's a lot of people who want that. No no kink shaming. But, like, it's just, it, you know, at the end of of Ghostbusters 2, I don't know how well it, like, sells this idea of him being, you know, a global threat. Because you figure if he's a baby in 89, he's going to be, what, 12 when the new millennium turns? Well, maybe the lady who predicted that the world was going to end in 2016, maybe she was envisioning him... Like being that was his actual ascendancy. Yeah, that, that was how long it was going to take yeah, him. You know, like, yeah, 20, 27. That yeah. makes a little more sense. That's probably what it was. She was predicting that he was going to win. And then in 2016, he would. What was it? And, Valentine's Day, right? 2016. Right. Yeah. Valentine's Day. Bummer. Yeah. Um, great, yeah. So maybe line. maybe maybe they were both right in the world of the psychic. Yeah. Is that not this like New Year's Eve of 1989 was like the beginning of the end. Right. And then uh, February 14th, 2016 was the end of the beginning of the end. Right. They were both like, you know, they, they're psychics, but they were only getting little pieces of information. So they weren't sure what information they were getting. When it was the hairless cat that had that missing piece to explain the connection. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, no. Um, oh, one other God, thing. That, I- that just reminded me of another great joke. Oh, when- sure. <laughs> when Venkman is going into the museum for the first time and he talks to the security guy and he's like, yeah, that was one of my two favorite shows. What was your other one? Bassmasters. Oh, I know Bassmasters. Yeah. Just, just such a, like just a dumb little throwaway. And it was just, that made me smile. 
just also that choice for Venkman is strong of like, of course, that's what he would do. Like, well, all the rest of them are like, you know, Ray has his bookstore, which I I have questions about how Ray got that loan for his bookstore after Ghostbusters went broke. Like he already had signed a predatory loan. Like, I don't know. But they clearly still had the property. They, They still had the firehouse. Right, but I'm like, how did he get the money for the the bookstore? The, yeah, because rent retail space in Manhattan is not cheap, especially for a niche like a cult bookstore like that. That thing, right. that thing was going out of business. It's a good thing oh, Ghostbusters yeah. came back because yeah, he needed the Ghostbusters to come back because that was <laughs> that's why he's doing the, birthday parties too. Right to fill to that's he must be doing a lot of birthday parties. Yeah, uh, one other thing I, that I just want to mention that's just it's a small silver lining, but it's it's oh it's like. An unimportant silver lining, but it's a big one to me, which is I could have watched Bill Murray's Peter Venkman interact with Oscar the baby for hours. Like if there are deleted scenes, if there is an extended cut, every interaction he has with that kid is genuinely delightful. Like you can actually see the the I'm sure they were twins, the babies that are playing Oscar like actually react to just how charismatic Bill Murray is. Like it's just it's very fun to watch like just I don't know, you get this like he he's really great with this kid. Like I just in every scene like where he's doing dad jokes, like the one that we played at the top, like where he's just I don't know, like he's riffing. He's having a Bill Murray seemed like he had the time of his life with Oscar and Yeah, I'd agree with that. Even yeah. if he didn't like the movie, he liked playing with Oscar. Yeah, so I all of that stuff I just makes me happy. Um Yeah, so I, I So here's I think where I'd like to wrap up is if you saw if you haven't watched ghostbusters 2 since it came out Mm -hmm. give it another watch yep because there's a lot of good stuff in this movie knowing that it's not it's it's in it's i think objectively inferior to the original um yeah and give it till the courtroom scene like if you finish the courtroom scene and then you're like "Eh, i'm not into this well then you're probably not gonna be into it but if you get to that scene i think and you enjoy that scene it's it's smooth sailing from then on out yeah it's this is this is i mean i'm definitely biased i do love ghostbusters as a franchise and i do love this movie but like it's it's a it's still a good movie and the thing working against it is that it's ghostbusters too mhm it is yeah you know so yeah i think that's 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 where i'd like to leave this I think that is a good place to leave it. But yeah, thank you all for for this past year. Yeah, thanks for staying with us and keep sticking with us through the next year and every year that comes after. Yep. Yeah, do it. You, you're committed now. You're so, in. You know, no no take backsies. Yeah, no backsies. <laughs> and uh, unless unless you're a dolphin. Unless if you're a dolphin. St- Press stop right now. Unsubscribe from this podcast if you're a dolphin, I swear. Yeah, because we're we're on to you and we're coming for you. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey guys, it's Sean. And Carter. From Potato. Salad. Marmalade. Aid. 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 Potato Aid. salad marmalade. Another podcast here on the Peak Sloth Network. Check it out.